How's it going, y'all? Welcome back. We are back with episode 34 of the podcast and have a loaded slate today. Top off with wild card round recap and a divisional round preview and predictions for the NFL playoffs. But first, we're going to start with some MLB where each of us handpick a few um, signings over the MLB free agency that's pretty much wrapped up and just give our thoughts on them. We're going to briefly run through the NBA standings in both the Eastern and Western conferences. And then, like we said, um, recap the NFL playoffs to this point. If I'm picking a MLB contract that I was a little surprised with or thought was a good move, I want to say J.D. Martinez to the Dodgers on the one-year 19 mil. That was a good signing, 19 mil for him. Um, I think that's kind of what they need right now. Oh, it is 10? 10. My bad. Yeah, I typed that in wrong on on our document. That should be 10. My bad. Well, even better signing, I think, for 10 mil. Has a veteran presence, um, you know, always hits for power mostly and still can get you some extra base hits occasionally that aren't homers. Um, but, yeah, I think that kind of flew under the radar. He was a, he's been around a little bit, and I think with him going to that team, I think it'll be beneficial for that lineup, especially after losing Bellinger. Yeah, I think, um, you know, probably going to slot into the DH role. You know, the Dodgers kind of had a rotating um, a rotating circle through that, that spot last year. Um, you know, a few guys that were kind of going through there, whether it was Will Smith getting a day off behind the plate or, um, you know, Justin Turner getting a day off in the field or Max Muncy getting a day off in the field. Um, kind of brings this little fat role there as well as a guy who can play left field when needed to if they want to get a couple of guys a rest or um, kind of unsure what that lineup's going to look like in terms of just positions right now. Um, obviously, I added Miguel Rojas via trade too, but um, definitely definitely a good signing. I kind of had a feeling he'd be end up being a Dodger after – um, rumors were kind of swirling pretty pretty quickly and pretty swiftly that he um, would be traded for by the Dodgers uh, back in July and uh, another never nothing ever really formulated from that but um, definitely an under the radar move a guy that I think provides a winning veteran presence um, guy who played really good baseball with Mookie Betts in, in, in Boston when they won a World Series so um, really like that signing for the Dodgers as well um, I'll, I'll get this one right off the bat I mean it's easy but the Carlos Correa saga. Um, Signs with the Giants, which is ultimately actually where I thought he would sign, uh, kind of off rip when the Giants missed on Judge. I thought um, that Correa was absolutely going to be a Giant. He they they agreed to the deal, and then um, press conference gets canceled. The deal falls through, and then in 12 hours he signs with the Mets. Um, and then it's it felt like the Mets and him went back and forth um, for what couple weeks on on the same medical issue. Um, Mets reached out to the same doctor that um, the Giants spoke with and, um, you know, did not pass him on his physical, um, ultimately resigns with the twins at six years, $200 million. Um, really shady, uh, from Carlos Correa, not, not something that's going to help him kind of rebuild his legacy as a baseball player. And, um, Scott Boris doing nothing to help himself either. I think a lot of people didn't like Scott Boris, uh, within the industry already. Um, and I think that this kind of just is another shady deal for, for Scott. Um, the fact that, you gave the Giants 12 hours and you gave the Mets two weeks. Um, I, I think it's kind of um, just kind of a, a, a crappy situation and um, just just an overall a shady deal. And I think um, very unprofessionally handled by by all parties involved, that being Correa, uh, Boris, the Giants, the Mets, the Twins, all of them. Um, can't really blame the Twins, but again, I, I think I guess the four main parties involved um, 
handled incredibly unprofessionally, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the headline of the offseason, mainly because it took the longest out of all these deals, obviously, and it was going on the whole offseason. Um, saw something to where uh, the Mets had the same doctor's opinions as the Giants did. Yeah. So trying to pass the physical was basically like it didn't mean anything because it was going to have the same results as when the Giants failed him and stuff. Anyway, going back to the Twins on, what, 33, just over 33 a year. Not a bad deal. Um, I mean, it's steep money-wise, but I think the Twins bringing him back is good for them, uh, good for, you know, putting people in the seats and stuff like that. And he already knows the guys there. He has a lot of continuity that he built up there this past season. So I think it'll be easier transition for him. No, it's not like a high-end uh, location like the Mets or Giants. But, I mean, smaller market team. Um, not small, but smaller. And I think it'll be a good landing spot for him there in the end. Um, I want to hit the big one. Aaron Judge re-signed with the Yankees. Nine years, 360. Getting 40 a year. We all knew he would. We just didn't know where. Solid division with the Giants. Talking to a couple other teams. Ultimately, he returns to the Bronx. I mean, we feel like this was always like in the back of everyone's mind that this would happen, but it just didn't seem like it was for a little bit based off what he was saying in press conferences and stuff like that. But I do think it was good for the Yankees to lock him down for, you know, nine years. What could be longer, what could be shorter. Um, but yeah, good deal for them. 40 mil looked pretty good in a little while as we see all these, you know, eight plus year contracts for star players. Um so I think it's a good deal, and at the end of the day, I think this was the right thing for Aaron to re- to return to the Yanks. Yeah, I think um, you know, I think we talked, you and I just had texted and talked um, kind of out after the season ended for the Yankees to the end of the Dodgers, uh, and I told you I, th- I thought um, Judge was a Dodger just because I thought that the front office was the most motivated. Obviously, um, didn't they didn't really even have much interest in him. I think they. I think their camp reached out to, to Aaron and his camp, and I think it ended up just being kind of being a, you know, they they weren't going to match what the Giants and and the Yankees were going to match. Um, understandably, I think that they are have clearly set themselves up for for Shohei Otani in the next offseason. But back to Judge, um, you know, I didn't think he'd be back. I thought he'd be a Giant, to be honest. Kind of when all the dust settled, um, in, in about the month or so prior to free agency kind of opening and talks actually happening, winter meetings and stuff, um. You know, of the contracts, you know, the mega deals that, that were handed out this this offseason, um, you know, assigned and, and may, maybe one of us talks about this um, other than the Devers extension, uh, um, which I thought he was deserving of that money. And nobody else in the offseason other than other than in terms of free agency, uh, other than Aaron Judge was worth the mega deal. Aaron Judge is one of the, you know, what, five to ten guys in baseball that are actually worth the you know, $300 million contract plus um, $40 million a year. You know, I think it used to just be the Aaron Judges, the Bryce Harpers, the Mookie Betts, the Mike Trouts that got these kind of deals. And now it's Trey Turner gets a deal like that. Um, you know, Bogarts gets a deal like that. Correa gets, it's just, Correa gets a deal like that. I just, I don't, I don't know if those guys are all worth that money. Um, Aaron Judge certainly is though. So really good for the Yankees to get him back in the pinstripes uh, on that, with that clean shaven face. Um Next deal, I'll go. I'll I'll go with Xander Bogarts to the Padres at 11 years, 280 million. Um, from an annual average standpoint, it's, you know it's going to be under 28, obviously. Um, 
you know, I think it, probably the most shocking deal of the offseason, I think, if you had to look at, um, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall with the wall with DeGrom and, and Verlander and, um, you know, Trey Turner, same thing. I think that uh, the Bogarts deal kind of came out of nowhere. I think the Padres got desperate. They they were they kind of entered the game late for Judge, entered the game late for, um, you know, Trey Turner, offered him uh, $400 million over like 14, 15 years, something like that, um, you know, more years, more money. Uh, than the Phillies did ultimately he chose to go to Philadelphia. So um, a huge swing. I think this contract's going to age terribly. I think, you know, Xander was the oldest of the, of the, the four major shortstop free agents, free agents. Um, you know, he, he's got a really good glove. I just ha- 11 years, the guy's getting paid till he through it. He throws what 41, 42. So, or, or 40. So it's just, it, it's hard to see these contracts, um, you know, panning out. But again, um, from a value standpoint, I guess it works. I just, um, but, but a big get for them, at least in the short term, they, they have probably the, the most loaded lineup in baseball. So, yeah, that was a little confusing just in the destination and duration of the contract, like you said. Um, but yeah, I mean, going to the Padres is something I don't really think I saw coming just because they have Machado, Tatis is coming back and now you add Bogarts to that infield. It's like, probably what you, means, what you, probably means Manny's gone. Right. Yeah, you figure, you figure it means Manny's gone next year. Um, you know, as this is his last year, you would think. Um, he's got the yeah, opt didn't out. Really make a he's ton gonna, of he's sense. He's gonna opt out and get the money. So. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, you know, riding with Tatis and Bogarts for, you know, at probably the next five years after the after Manny leaves. Um, I think it'll be good for the Padres. I don't know if it'll make them, you know, World Series team. Um, but yeah, it's just 11 years, 280. I guess they just offered him the most money and that's what sent him there. Uh, that's probably the case, but the next contract I'm going to touch on, or I guess my last one, third one, I'm going to go with Carlos Rodon of the Yankees. Stay with the Yanks. Six years, 162. Not some, I mean, obviously not some I wanted. It seemed like it was evident from the get go that he was going to be a Yankee. Um, you know, he wanted to be there. It looked weird on the presser when he had, you know, shaved face and fresh cut and stuff like that, uh, as it normally always is. But, and I really wanted him on the Yank or Orioles, excuse me. Uh, his dad was an Orioles fan. Tough uh, to see him go to a division opponent. Um, but, you know, Orioles said they would shell out some money, and they spent a total of like 22 mil this offseason. So, I guess that's selling out some money for the um, – what is her last name? I just blanked on it. I don't know how I can't remember this. Uh, they're twins. It'll come to me in a second. But, yeah, they, they don't like to spend money. Um, and when they do, it's in the wrong spots. So, uh, unfortunate, but nonetheless, you know, Garrett Cole, Carlos Rodon, Nestor Cortez. Then there's one other guy. Uh, they should have a really solid lineup this year, and it should be interesting to see – you know, how they stay consistent during the season as opposed to the past few years, um, or at least this past season, they kind of fell off towards the end of the season, had a cold stretch, and ultimately couldn't sustain in the playoffs. You know, they they get swept by the Astros. It seemed like nobody could stop the Astros on their dominant run to another title. But, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, the rich get richer with the big market teams. You know, with no salary cap, it seems like, Yankees are always a team right at the top that's shelling out all kinds of money. And 
always to their benefit. Uh, they always get the big name guys. So uh, that continues here this off season as they also signed Rizzo. Um, but yeah, unfortunate the Orioles couldn't um, lock them down, but I never really expected them to. I just thought they would be in the running. Yeah, I'll start this off. Um, worst rule, worst like unofficial unwritten rule in baseball. And there's a lot of bad ones. The Yankees, like no facial hair one might be the, the, the worst. Um, it's just so stupid. Uh, no other way around it. I just, I, I, I don't understand it at all. Um, you know, it's like, it's, it's acting like it's a corporate office when corporate offices now allow, you know, tats and beards and all this stuff. So it's, it's just kind of lame, but that regardless, um, you, you hit the nail on the head with the rich get richer. Um, I mean, you look at the Mets, the Mets, and I'm not going to get to a Mets contract, but they gave Brandon Nemo big money to resign. Edwin Diaz, big money to resign. They're giving Justin Verlander 43.1 a year. They signed uh, Kodai Senga from Japan uh, at, at 15 million a year. So, you know, they, the rich get richer there. I think um, eventually you're going to see these teams like the Dodgers are right now resetting the competitive balance tax um, in order to start getting their first round picks back. I, I mean, the Mets absolutely blue i mean listen if you're gonna blow it out of the water you might as well just go all out and do it so i get it um but at the same time i i do think it, at some point major league baseball is going to have to step in because we're going to start seeing the same and it's always been this way for the most part the same six teams being competitive i mean look at the padres did i mean they went they're blowing out of the water too I and mean, you're looking at their payroll next year they've got contracts um if you include the opt-in year, you know, you include the total contract value of Machado's opt-ins. I mean, they have like three or four 30 million plus dollar contracts plus whatever they're going to try and pay Juan Soto with an extension. So I just um, it's just an example. I, I think the Dodgers were the beneficiaries of it for a while and, and they're now resetting and they're going to do it again next offseason. I think whenever when they uh, inevitably either sign Shohei or Machado, I think they they aren't going to get outbid for one of those guys. But. Um, at some point, the Major League Baseball is going to have to step in and and put something in place. But um, the unfortunate thing is, is that they, the owners control the league, right? And and when you've got the most powerful owners in the league really controlling everything, it, it breaks down to the Mets, the Dodgers, the Yankees, um, and you know the the, the Astros, the Padres, um, teams like that. So it's just going to be tough. But um, I'll pick my last contract here, and then we'll kind of get it, keep it pushing to the M- NBA. Um, Contract that I think went really unnoticed this offseason, um, one that I think is going to end up paying the, some of the most dividends for the team that, that made the, the, the acquisition, um, is the St. Louis Cardinals signing Wilson Contreras to a five-year, $87.5 million deal, paying him under $18 million a year. Um, one of the best pure hitter pure hitting catchers in baseball can DH. Um, that was really their biggest hole last year outside of pitching um, from, from an offense standpoint was catcher and I think that um you know with Yachty leaving they've got a young guy but I think bringing in Wilson it kind of brings a steady presence to that room and can give the young guy a day off when needed um but also provide a steady presence at the DH spot so um you know obviously Yachty didn't have the greatest year last year um just being as old as he was but um you know brings a veteran catcher into the room keep keep some continuity there um also a guy that, that Yachty is really tight with um, similar play style to Yachty behind the plate. So I think it keeps some continuity there as well. 
um, and is allows the ID to still be a resource in another way to their young catcher. And I'm I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, recording this late on Monday night, but um, so it's escaping me. But um, they have a, a fairly highly touted young catcher um that Wilson Contreras can help mentor and and also hit the crap out of the ball in St. Louis as well. So big get for the Cardinals. And I think that of all these deals is going to be the one that pays maybe the most dividends um, in the immediate future. Yeah, I really like this move as well. Uh, Yadier Molina's replacement um, as he retired this past season. Um, good deal for them. I think this was really the move they had to make. And it was you know, looking back on it, you're like, well, how could he go anywhere else? Uh, you know, this was like a fit like a glove, no pun intended, on Contreras going to the Cardinals, and I really like the move for them. Like I said, should pay dividends in the long term, and I think, you know, five years is a good time frame as well. Uh, allows him to re-up or extend and then also, you know, chase more money on the market. If he does ball out and, you know, play even better than he was, um, I think that was it for uh, each of us touched on three there in the MLB. And while there were many, many more moves that y'all can uh, find, and we touched on a few, those were the six uh, that we talked about in detail that we really liked or that confused us or we saw coming. Um, But yeah, with that, we're going to switch on over to the NBA real quick. Um, Like I said, uh, we're just doing a standings update. Brady's got the East, I got the West, uh, but we're just over halfway of the 82 game regular season slate, you know, all-star break is coming up soon is from February 17th to the 22nd as the teams will take a week off of playing regular season games. And the all-star game is on February 19th. Um, you know, NBA, I think we've both kind of taken a step back in our, you know, following the season being with, you know, Spurs and Lakers, not finding a rhythm during the season, uh, you know, Spurs, it was expected that they would be in the running for the first overall pick and still on pace. I think they're about second or third right now. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to the off season. I'm still looking forward to next season, but first I'm looking forward to all-star break. We have, you know, the skills, skills challenge and we have the dunk contest where G league and Texas tech, uh, former Texas tech player, Mac McClung, Mac McClung, uh, six, two white guy is going to be in the dunk contest. Uh, it should be a lot of fun to watch. You know, I think in the past few years, the dunk contest kind of taken a step back and hopefully Matt can bring it back to its, you know, Aaron Gordon versus Zach Levine level, hopefully. Maybe not there, um, but getting it somewhere back there, at least with the level of competition he's going to bring. So I'll let you get into the East, but I'm just looking forward to that here in about four or five weeks. Before I get into that, 2016 dunk contest with him and Aaron Gordon was epic, dude. I want to go back to that because that was the greatest in my lifetime, like pre-2005, because, you know, born in 01, I didn't watch a dunk I didn't watch – the 2002 dunk contest as an infant didn't watch it as a one-year-old the year after so i'm saying like of in our time watching the dunk contest so like what 15 years probably call it five six when i started yeah. watching it maybe remember a glimpse um but even going back probably to the to the to have one of the vince carter dunk contests this is the greatest dunk contest ever at least in my lifetime i'll tell you that right now so um at least that I've ever seen. It was awesome. But yeah, I, I, again, I hope it kind of gets back to where um, it used to be in the past few years. Um, but yeah, I'll echo what you said uh, real quick that um, putting it lightly that the Lakers and the Spurs haven't found a rhythm yet. I think that's generous um, to say, but um, 
yeah, I've just, you know, with us getting, um, obviously as we get older, we get a little busier with school in our, in our lives and, um, definitely find myself putting less time that I have in the NBA and more into, um, NFL college, um, scouting is a big one for me right now, obviously in the spring, um, really when the calendar turns over is when I start my scouting. So, um, and then, uh, baseball as well, just kind of being the two sports that I, that I love the most, certainly like basketball, just not, um, not my bread and butter personally, but I'm definitely going to keep, you know, watching the Lakers and, and keeping up with, you know, obviously when Luca goes and puts up another 60 point triple double, it, I'll notice obviously. Um, and obviously I'll watch the playoffs and all that stuff. I just regular season basketball just doesn't really entertain me a ton right now, but um, I'll kick it off the Eastern conference here. Um, reigning Eastern conference champs with the Celtics are sitting in the one seed four and a half games up on the nets and the bucks who trail. They are tied in second um, half game behind them is the 76ers who played a thriller with the Lakers last night that actually caught the tail end of um, in between the football or after the one, during one of the football games, caught the tail end of that. Um, also tied with them, I guess for technically tied for fourth um, is them and the Cavs at five games back in the Celtics. Um, Knicks, Heat, and Pacers round out the Eastern Conference from six, sorry, six to eight at eight, nine, and ten games back apiece. So um, not a lot separating the Eastern Conference right now, especially kind of in the, um, you know, from two to two to 10 it's five and a half games um so a lot can kind of go on here um especially kind of when we get to midseason teams get hurt teams go cold um i think we'll see a ton of shuffling um as we get into the month of uh february march and then i think in april early april pardon me we'll start to see kind of a solidification of these kind of defined tiers uh, of the conference as we push towards the playoffs uh, in april yeah, I mean, Celtics are two games up for the best record in the league right now. Uh, I mean, I think the East is the best conference. They're more battle-tested, you know, being with the Nets, Bucks, and Sixers. I think the Celtics are obviously in the running. I think the Bucks would have won it last year had Chris Middleton been healthy. I still think the Bucks Agreed. are going to end up. I think the Bucks are going to end up winning the East, you know, four and a half back. Looking forward to seeing how it shakes out. You know, I always love playoff basketball, regardless of how casual of a fan I am during the season. Uh, yeah. You know, playoff basketball comes around and I normally have it on the TV unless we got something else going on, which normally is just MLB regular season. So not much else going on NHL playoffs. But, you know, if there's a you know, there's a good basketball playoff game going on. I enjoy following along and watching it when I can. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it'll be fun to see how both these conferences shake out. Like I said, just past the halfway point. So about, you know, 38 games left should be fun to see who comes out of the East, not only in the regular season, but in the playoffs too, as they're still squaring off against each other uh, for Western conference, just going over the top eight, there are uh, top six clinch uh, first round berth and uh, seven, eight, nine, and 10 have to participate in a play in, which is new. And it's going to stay um, where, you know, 10 faces, seven and eight faces, nine and a one game, kind of a wild card matchup um, to get in to the top eight seeds. So, Western Conference, we've got the Denver Nuggets and Memphis Grizzlies tied at the top at 30 and 13. Pelicans are 26 and 18, four and a half back. We have the Sacramento Kings, surprising improvement, uh, 24 and 18, five and a half back. Dallas Mavericks, 24 and 21, are seven back. Clippers, 23 and 22 at eight back. Warriors with the same record. And the Jazz are 23 and 24, nine and a half back. So obviously, as you see, um, the East a good bit better than the West currently as we stand. Um, I mean, anything can happen. I think the West has more 
stars, maybe not currently, you know, with Ja and Steph and Luka and Zion's played well. Jokic, they have a lot of really good players in that conference. Kawhi. Um, I mean, so does the East, but I think the West, you know, with the stars that are currently in the top eight spots, I think can definitely turn it around and make the West a better conference come playoff time and come, you know, NBA finals time. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Yeah, I think in, in, I didn't mention with the Eastern conference, but, um, certainly with the West health as well, right? I mean, you've seen the nuggets be banged up, um, in the past few years with Jamal Murray and, um, it just guys missing time on that roster. And, um, same thing with the Grizzlies, if this, these teams can get healthy, um, it'll be huge. And the Pelicans, the epitome of it, right? Zion's finally healthy and, um, playing like the first overall pick that he was. So, um, you know, it's going to be a lot of shuffling again in this conference, I think more than most, um, Look at the Warriors, who had that you know incredibly slow start. They're going to figure it out come come March and April. Um, and obviously, as we've seen, they're a team that no one wants to see in the playoffs just due to the pedigree on that team um, and on that roster. I think um, they're going to come around. You look at the Kings, uh, you know the Mavs, two two teams that just feel like they're overperforming for you know the games that they've lost this year in, in town on the roster. I think you look at both those teams. Um, Kings much more than the Mavs, just young um, men not sustain it come playoff time. But um, you like to see new new names and new faces. Um, you know these teams up there, Eastern Conference not so much, uh, more than Western Conference with the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Pelicans being the top three teams in, in the conference right now. Um, definitely good for basketball um, and should be a, a really interesting. You know, push towards this, like I said, push towards down the stretch where we get kind of solidification of what do these tiers look like. Um, kind of come playoff time in April. So um, definitely going to be uh, a lot of shuffling here again. Uh, kind of is the nature of the, of the NBA and, and runs and streaks are, um, you know, it's like baseball. It's a super streaky league and teams can get hot, teams can get cold kind of on a whim. So um, definitely going to, you know, follow this on the pod and follow the standings kind of as we get creep inch closer and closer right now. But um, playoffs will be here in, in a flash. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, but that's pretty much it for NBA. We're not going to touch too heavy on it. Uh, just mainly, you know, talking about standings, what could change, what looks good, and what we think will stay in terms of the rankings in each conference. Uh, in terms of college basketball, it is underway. We're about five, six games, uh, at least in the Big 12, you know, seven-plus games in a few other conferences into conference play. I'm not going to touch too deep on it. We're not going to go through the standings of each conference. Uh, we might occasionally touch on star players or star performances from big-time games, you know, Houston, Purdue right there at the top for most of the season so far, uh, kind of leading the way in the overall AP tw- top 25 rankings nationally. Um, Purdue with Zach Eady, a big seven foot four center, uh, likely on pace to win the Wooden uh, National Player of the Year. Um, but, you know, in terms of college basketball, we're not going to touch, similar to NBA, not following it quite as close this year as we were last year. Uh, you could say in part, uh, that is due to Tech not playing as well right now. You know, finally healthy for this game tomorrow night at home against Baylor, which should be fun. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna really start talking about it once the conference championship tournaments come around. I know Tech has theirs in Kansas City each year, where you know top eight of the ten or nine teams in, attend with only one team missing out. So I, I think Tech will get in. I really hope they do. I think they'll turn it around. You know what? as they have 13 games left in conference play. Um, but yeah, we'll probably hold off on getting into too much detail until those conference championships uh, kind of mid-March, I believe, at least for the Big 12 and I think for the other conferences. 
with predictions, hot takes, uh, you know, all leading up to the NCAA tournament. March Madness uh, should be fun. We will most definitely uh, go into detail there for the March Madness tournament. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll call myself out. I'm a college, I'm a I'm a very fair weather college basketball fan. Um, if Texas Tech is good, I'm following fairly closely. If like they're like this year where they're just bad to average, uh, bad when they were not healthy, and now that they're healthy, they look they're like they're going to be um, competitive, but nothing like they were last year. I'm not going to follow it that closely. Um, again, basketball is just not a sport that I love as much as you know the other two sports. Um, we'll say cannot wait for college baseball to start. Um, super excited for that, but um, I can we'll keep it pushing here. We'll get to the NFL. Um, past two days about six wild card games, three from each conference, and um, we are now officially down to eight. I know we kind of started recording the podcast as the the waning minutes kind of closed out in the last playoff game of the week or weekend rather um, with the Cowboys and the Buccaneers um, closing it out there in Tampa. Um, but I'll start it off with um, the first AFC game that took place Saturday night. Um, if you didn't hear about it, you are living under a rock. Uh, Chargers went out to a 27-0 lead in the second quarter. End up uh, folding and losing to the Jaguars 31-30 to in Duval County. Um, not much else to say other than the fact that the Chargers choked. I mean, um, you know, as a diehard fan, I could sit here and, and you know, cry and moan about refs. They, they got screwed with this. They got screwed with that. But at the end of the day, you can't score three points in the second half and you can't give up, you know, a, a touchdown to end the half and you can't give up, uh, you know, what, 20 four nearly unanswered in the second half so um just bad execution um in the whole second half just a repeat from what we saw in week three when they played where um doug peterson and his staff um just totally outclassed um brandon stadley and his staff so um i guess i'll kind of touch on this real fast before we get into um before brett kind of gives his take on this and we get into other games but um at least from a Chargers standpoint i know um team executives uh front office ownership met with brandon staley today to discuss you know changes going forward it does sound like he's going to remain in los angeles as the head coach um there's been a lot of rumors about sean payton um i mean sean payton literally told everyone on con on con cowherd show what the saints gm is looking for in a trade offer so clearly driving the price down himself to go where he wants to go um you know, wanted to bring Vic Fangio on as his DC, which I think points to the Chargers with that scheme. So, um, but again, it sounds like they're going to opt to keep Staley another year, and it's likely going to be um, at a minimum the firing of the offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi. Um, which, had we been recording the podcast um, kind of throughout football season this year, you'd have been heard, you'd have heard me screaming multiple times um, to can the guy for a while. Um, possibly a change of defensive coordinator. Um, We'll have, I guess we'll have an update on that if, if anything happens um, coaching-wise. Um, with any team, um, you know, hirings happen. I know that the, the Arizona Cardinals hired, um, it was the Tennessee Titans director of player personnel, right? Today is their GM. Um, yep. So I guess we didn't put on our doc, but I'll mention that real quick. That's on the topic. Um, we'll give you guys a quick update before we start our rankings next week if there's any coaching updates, hirings, firings. Um, I expect that we'll talk about a Joe Lombardi firing uh, on Friday when we get, pardon me, two our quarterback uh, rankings. Um, but yeah, I mean, hats off to Trevor Lawrence. Um, the guy's nails. I mean, he threw four picks in the first half. He come back, he threw four touchdowns in the second half um, and, and was 
uh, surgical, frankly, to, to, to put it in the best way that I can. The guy would look like a, look like a 12 year all pro the way he was um, doing whatever he wanted with the offensive side of the ball. Doug Peterson called a great game. Second half. Um, Trevor Lawrence doesn't lose on Sunday, on Saturdays. He's undefeated on Saturdays going back to his high school days. So um, again, hats off to the Jags, their coaching staff, Trevor Lawrence um, gutted one out and um, cataclysmic, cataclysmic um, meltdown from the chargers and um, took charging to a whole new level on Saturday night. It did indeed, yeah. I know it was tough, um, really tough overall for the Chargers. And you look over the course of the game, they score 17 in the first quarter, you know, and seven minutes into the second quarter, you score another to go up 24 nothing. So you're really for the last two and a half quarters, you score six points. It's tough. Also, when, you know, you have a plus five turnover ratio, which is just unheard of nowadays, you know, regardless of what the score is. I think... It's tough in, in terms of Staley, Brandon Staley, the head coach. Um, when you got to a 27-0 lead on the road, cross-country, in a playoff game, against the team you played, uh, it was definitely very impressive. You know, putting – whether it was Lawrence making bad throws, whether it was the DBs being in the right position, or whether it was Staley's positioning, you know, four picks in the first half is really impressive. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, for the defense to not be able to – put drives together in the second half and for the offense not to get down the field in the end zone in the second half was ultimately killer. Um, you know, it seems like while well, everything possible went the Chargers way for the first, you know, two and a half qu- or quarter and a half, it looks like for the rest of the game, really just everything went the Jags way. It was crazy, uh, you know, flip flop to where, you know, close out the game. The Jags outscored them 31 to three. I think, well, ultimately, firing Staley would be the knee-jerk reaction and be like, you know, after the past two seasons of getting robbed, of getting into the playoffs and then advancing in the playoffs. Um, I think keeping him just fine. I wouldn't say it's a great move. I wouldn't say it's a bad move. I think it's a fine move. You always risk it when you fire your coach of getting the guy you want. You never know if you're going to get the guy you want. You know, there's always candidates. There's guys that people want, but you never know if you can get them. You never know what the team's doing. And even the team never knows, you know, who they actually ha- like can get and who other teams are going to bid more for, uh, mainly Sean Payton. But, you know, we're talking about that field goal as time expires. I mean, the Jags didn't lead for a single second in the game and won the game. Um, that field goal as time expired, the 36-yarder. I mean, if he misses that, Chargers win a playoff game. Staley gets a playoff win, and we're not even mentioning him firing. So at the end of the day, yeah. while it was – you know, a tale of two halves, uh, basically. It's definitely tough to, while it was tough on Staley and they did get out coached, I think it's tough to put this loss solely on him. Um, it definitely, you know, the Bosa penalties were tough. You know, Lawrence just being surgical in the second half was, I think, to some people's surprise. Uh, you know, it was impressive what he did. Christian Kirk played well. Um, you know, all around just good effort from that Jags offense and great adjustments, uh, you know, in-game adjustments from them. But we're going to move on here um, with the Sunday AFC games real quick. Dolphins at Bills. The Bills won 34-31. I mean, if Tua's playing, the Dolphins win that game uh, wholeheartedly, I believe that. You look at, you know, Skylar Thompson getting the plays in when they were huddling. I mean, it seemed like 12, 10, 12 times they were snapping the ball with zero seconds left. I think they took three or four delay games, uh, and they called two timeouts over the course of the game because of play clock issues. So 
that's definitely a lack of experience with the ones uh, on Skylar Thompson's part, getting that play call out and stuff like that. If Tua's behind, you know, behind the center, obviously they don't have those issues as they've played with him, what, 15 games this season. He missed a few due to the whole concussion thing. Um, feel bad for Miami. You know, Buffalo got out of there. Well, I think they're losing next week. Uh, they got out of there with a win, much needed. Divisional game, I knew it would be close. That two-touchdown spread was crazy to me, I think. With it being a divisional game, you can never pick, never bet on a spread that big. But, yeah, it was definitely a thriller. Definitely came down to the wire, as pretty much it seemed like every wild card game did. And it was just fun to watch, fun to follow along, as many of the games were, like I said. Um, but, yeah, bummer for the Dolphins and what was really a bummer whole season for them. Uh, you look back, the whole Tua concussion situation, I just feel terrible for the guy, you know, really coming on strong, regardless of, you know, getting a top four receiver in the league on his team to pair with Jalen Waddle. I think Tua was playing well over the course of the year. They were looking promising to go so cold at the end of the season and then lose him for the playoffs in a game that you lost so closely. Uh, it's just painful for them. But, I mean, the Bills are the better team. They're more battle-tested. They have better overall talent. And I think they're ultimately the best team won. I just think the Dolphins kind of had their shot and they missed it. I think um, matchup-wise, quickly, matchup-wise, um, the, the Dolphins are, are a, a matchup nightmare for this Bills team. Um, you know, I think there are some teams that match up well with them on the back end, just having a lot of speed and being able to keep up with what Miami does. Um, and I think that for the Bills, they just they don't have a lot of that deep, long speed in the back end. Um, you know, Trey White banged up a lot, hard, hard to get him on the field all season. I, 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 I candidly don't know how many games he played this year i should again it's you know it's almost 11 o'clock on a monday night so um after a long weekend so brains are kind of fading a little bit but um just matchup wise i think the dolphins present a unique matchup to the bills specifically and um i think the bills will be fine next week which we'll get into here in a few minutes um and I'll, I'll let you take this um this ravens Bengals game but um the latter two games in the afc this weekend two games that um healthy quarterbacks uh, it's a whole lot whole different ball game yeah, you said it. I'll just get to it. The Bengals beat the Ravens in Cincinnati 24-17 in a game where the Ravens basically handed the Bengals two touchdowns, and they also lost out on a they lost out on a touchdown where they had to settle for a field goal. And then obviously, if you were watching, you know, or if you were on your phone, you know, they were down to the one-yard line. They had first and goal at the three. First play, they run a screen to a tight end. Second play, they throw a pass incomplete at the back of the end zone. Third play, Tyler Huntley, the Ravens' backup quarterback, filling in for the end of Lamar. He reaches over the center on a QB sneak with uh, two guys behind him to push him. And instead of, you know, bulldozing through, uh, staying low and protecting the ball, he tries to reach over the top five feet away from the end zone. It's like that MJ Space Jam clip where he has the you know 30-foot long arm dunking it from the three-point line. Um, I don't know what he was doing. You know, John Harbaugh, the head coach after the game, said that that was not the call, that the play call was to stay low, uh, you know, use the guys behind you to push you into the end zone following your offensive line. He probably would have got in there, like I said, you know, about five feet away from the goal line. And... He fumbled it, reaching over the goal line. You know, Bengals player tapped it out, and, of course, it fell right into uh, Bengals defensive end Sam Hubbard's arms. 
took it 98 yards to the house. Uh, some say there was a missed block in the back call on that play. It was close. I don't know. Uh, but at the end of the day, it is what it is. And unfortunately, that it ended like that, especially, you know, with a few injuries, you know, wide receiver one, wide receiver two, QB one. And, you know, stuff like that happens. It seemingly happens every year for Raven, for the Ravens, uh, where injuries kill them and kill their playoff chances or Super Bowl chances. The past two years, Lamar has missed the final six games of the season. And it's just been tough to kind of rejuvenate the squad after you're missing your QB, who seemingly covers up all the holes on an offense so ridden with flaws. It's just looking back on this six games without a true game manager like Lamar uh, goes to show you how valuable he is and, you know, how there's no one really like him. I think uh, league wide, you know, so I think some guys can run like him. I don't think anyone can cut like he does. And of all the guys that can run, I don't think they have the arm to match with Lamar's running ability. Uh, I do think Lamar's arm has vastly improved or even over the past two years, let alone from his rookie year. And I think, you know, I think this was going to happen. I've, Fully was set on the Ravens losing this game before it started, but it was just tough. You know, they go down 9-0 pretty quick. Take the 10-9 lead uh, going into half. It was looking good. They come out in the third quarter with the ball, come out flat. It was tough from there, uh, you know, being on the road and stuff like that. Obviously, divisional opponent, anything can happen. Defense played great. They allowed 234 yards and 17 points. Uh, that other seven to make it 24 is obviously from the fumble recovery, taking it to the house. 17 points, 234 against, you know, one of the best offenses, the best receiving group, you know, one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, very pleased with the defense and how they played, and I'm glad Ravens are pretty much returning everyone from that unit next year. But, yeah, that closes out the AFC. I was just kind of bummed that they lost, but I knew it was coming, and now I'm looking forward to the offseason. I think the Ravens are locked in at 22 and the Chargers 21 uh, in the NFL draft. So it should be fun. Going to be ripping some mocks here pretty frequently, but uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, um, and you know, assuming we're going to have a couple minutes into the pod, we can we can talk a little um, Ravens Chargers. If anyone wants to exit before we get into that a little bit at the end, uh, we probably have some time too, looking at where we're at now um, and how much we have left. But we'll get to the NFC um, Saturday uh, afternoon game, first game of the weekend, kicks off with the Seahawks traveling. Uh, just south of San Francisco. Um, what was a great game for about two and a half, three quarters. Um, ends up coming a blowout in 41-23 with the Niners rolling over the Seahawks for the third time this season. Um, I, th- I think what ultimately came down to it, uh, and I think I said this to you um, when you came come over to watch that Chargers-Jaguars game, um, was that I think the, the, the key factor that, that kind of went wrong for the, for the Seahawks was with two rookie tackles who'd played better than admirably all year, had played phenomenal for two rookie tackles all year. It's really hard um, to go up against Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead and company on that defensive front for the 49ers for four straight quarters and, and be effective and win um, at a, at a, at a high clip. And just, it wasn't going to happen. And um, that defensive line took over in this, in, in, you know, late in the third quarter and the whole fourth quarter, um, and the best skill group in football worked all the afternoon. CMC was hot. Debo was hot. Iuke um, was really good. Kittle was really good. And um, Kyle Shanahan proves once again why he might be the, one of the best play callers in football. Um, no shade to Brock Purdy, but, I mean, 
Um, Brock Purdy's not the other quarterbacks in the playoffs, right? It's just he, um, but he's executing and you got to give him his flowers a little bit. Um, but I think a lot of it goes towards, again, the best skill group in, in football and one of the best uh, play callers in football. Um, ju- just beating an inferior defense, a defense that was a little bit banged up and um, really few bright future for Seattle. I think they're in an awesome spot this offseason with what the fifth overall pick and the 18th overall pick or 19th overall pick, 18, 20. Are they 20 or are they, I don't really know where exactly they're at with that Tampa loss. I think they're at like 18 or they're at 19 or 20, something like that. But um, regardless, um, really bright future there. But I think the 49ers um, look really good offensively and, and defensively. Yeah, Seattle will be picking five and 20 in this upcoming draft. Um, but yeah, the game was about how I expected. You know, divisional matchup, but these two teams are just. One's obviously so much better, like you said. Best skilled group in football. Best receivers uh, alone has to go to Cincy. Best skilled group is definitely the 49ers. You look at that trade from McCaffrey giving up a 2, 3, 4, and 5 for him. Really, honestly, when you think about it, it flew under the radar. It was one of the first moves of the trade deadline, and then after that, all the other moves that were uh, executed after kind of took over the headlines. Um, I thought it was really solid. Uh, kind of Some people pinned him there. Early on, um, you know, he's balled out after this playoff game. He's had, I think, nearly 2,100 all-purpose yards this season, which is crazy, especially after the injuries he's had the past couple seasons. Um, but, yeah, like you said, Shanahan up there, especially with all the talent they have, just adds to it. He's right up there with the top play callers, you know, Andy Reid, Matt LaFleur, uh, Sean McVay, stuff like that. He's right up there with them, if not ahead of them. And a uh, great season continues here for the Niners as they host the Cowboys, as they just clinched a uh, victory over Tom Brady in what could be his final game. We'll get to that in a second. But first, we had uh, one of two road teams win the wildcard game this week as the Giants traveled back to Minnesota to avenge um, or get revenge for their Christmas Eve loss um, to a walk-off Greg Joseph 61-yard field goal. But yeah, Giants at Vikings. Uh, the Giants won 31 to 24. Really good game. It seemed like the offenses couldn't be stopped. Uh, long sustaining drives that they punched in the end zone. You know, with the Giants with four touchdowns, Vikings with three. I mean, I think of those seven touchdown drives between the two teams, I think six of them went over seven minutes, which is crazy. Um, you know, clean games overall. Kirk didn't play great. Uh, as he normally doesn't outside of that, you know, 12 noon central time slot. Um, but yeah, it was tough for the Vikings. I wanted the Giants to win personally, so the Ravens and Chargers get a higher draft pick. Then if the Vikings won, uh, the Giants will be picking ahead of those teams. So makes sense. Um, but yeah, I thought the Giants might win it. Uh, you know, not only did they just play them four weeks ago, but they had a really solid game plan, I think, going into it. Wink Martindale already getting some head coaching interviews yet again. Uh, what he did his first year in New York uh, was impressive, and I think he really willed them to victory, shut down Justin Jefferson. And, you know, Brian Dale, coach of the year on lock, and all-around good performance by the G-men. And, yeah, Daniel Jones played well. I was shocked with Daniel Jones' uh, performance in the bright lights and – be looking forward to seeing how, you know, Saquon and that offense go on to the next round of the playoffs. They have a tough task going to play another NFC East opponent in Philly. 
Um, but yeah, it should be a fun one to watch. But yeah, I'm impressed with the Giants. Yeah, I think um, Giants defense looked good. Uh, Saquon Barkley's as advertised. Um, and ultimately, I think it came down to Brian Dable versus um, Kevin O'Connell. And um, Brian Dable and, and staff, which staff can't be understood enough with, I think, I think Wink Martindale. Um, incredible defense coordinator, should get a head coaching job. I thought he should have gotten a head coaching job when he was in Baltimore. Um, does a great job every year. So I think it came to that, that staff just being better than the Minnesota staff. Um, tall task ahead of them heading to Philly this weekend or next weekend, rather. Um, but again, really good win for them. Really good culture building win up there in the Meadowlands for the Giants. And uh, rounding out our last wildcard game of the weekend, uh, the long weekend for most, um, with MLK Day uh, being today. Um, Cowboys traveling to Tampa Bay. Um, in what I thought would be a Tampa Bay Buccaneers win. I was hoping for it. Again, Chargers, Ravens picking one pick higher should the Buccaneers have win won. But um, it, it, Tom Brady got to hang it up, man. 31-14, stat padded there at the end with a lot, with that final touchdown. Um, Dak looks good. That was probably one of his best games of his whole career. Um, Dallas needs a kicker. Let's put that out there. Uh, Brett Maher will not be kicking for them next week if I had to bet money on it. Whatever the... The, the Vegas odds on that are take them. Um, but no, in all seriousness, the the Cowboys defense looked really good. Um, Micah Parsons is the most valuable defensive player in football. I don't think it's particularly close. Um, showed it again tonight. And again, Dak uh, looks to be playing his best football of his career um, at right at the right time. Um, it had into a, a much different environment and a much different uh, you know, game heading heading up to San Francisco next weekend on Sunday. Um, crazy home environment they're going to be heading into, but um, again, playing good football at the right time. So we're going to see what happens. Yeah, you said it. Um, you know, Cowboys are hot. Uh, you know, right off a twenty point loss last week to the Commanders, it seemed like they were kind of doomed facing going to Tampa Bay, facing the Bucks. Um, Crazy thing that I found looking on ESPN, uh, the stats from the game as we go to it. 31-14 win, like you said, a uh, pretty solid game all around. You know, Dax, maybe Dax's best game as a Cowboy. You know, he's 25-33 of 33 with 305 and five total touchdowns, four of which were passing. Tony Pollard with over five yards of carry as he's been quietly a really, really good running back for them. Uh, there were 99 total pass attempts, and 66 of those came from Tom Brady. He had 66 throws um, for 351 and two touchdowns and a pick. So not a great game for Tom. Barely over 50% completion percentage. Um, you know, if you're throwing the ball 66 times, you better have 450-plus passing yards. Um, tough game for them in which their leading rusher had 41 yards. You know, Godwin led the receivers with 85, but this one seemed like it was pretty much over, you know, when the Cowboys went up 24-0 with 10 minutes left in the third. Yeah, some would say Tom's come back from 25 down with two minutes left in the third quarter. Yeah, but that was after his team went through the playoffs, got to the Super Bowl, um, and had a great roster. You know, look at the team this year. They had a sub-500 record, got into the playoffs, and by far the worst division in football. And nothing was changing the roster. It's the same roster as they had all season, if not just worse because of injuries. Um, so, you know, vastly different situations from when they came back and beat Atlanta in Super Bowl 51. Um, so, yeah, tough loss for the Bucks. Uh, shout out, Cowboys. 
Shout out Dak, a uh, really big game from him, clutch performance on the road, and where it seemed like everyone, everything was pointing to the uh, Cowboys losing. I think they have three three playoff wins. This was their fourth since 1996. Um, so you look at, what is that, 27 years? They have now four playoff wins. Um, big time win for them, for that organization. But yeah, like you said, got to get a new kicker. You know, Brett Maher, um, not really putting the name Brett to good use. Disappointing. 0 for 4 from extra point. Uh, he did hit the fifth one which I think was good for him, for that team, uh, or else they would be um, trying to find a kicker, most likely signing a guy real quick and, you know, making a little competition in practice. Still think they would ride with Maher during the game, but just to get him a little motivated because four extra points missed in one game is insane. And he misses one last week, so five straight. But, yeah, that was tough. Um, One thing I will say, you know, in the media availability after the game, Tom Brady's presser, 35-second clip all over Twitter of him basically just saying farewell, um, appreciate, uh, voicing his appreciation for the organization, for the media members, for all of that. Um, so while it does look like he's done in Tampa Bay, um, wasn't too sure on if he's done in the NFL. My take, and I texted you earlier, I think he's going to retire. You know, everyone's talking about does he go? Does he go west to either Vegas, which I think would be would make sense, or San Fran, which I would not do if I'm the Niners. Um, is so last year kind of seemed like Tom's you know NFL chapter was coming to a close, and it was reported I don't know if it was Schefter or Rappaport, but they were saying you know Tom Brady is expected to announce his retirement here in the coming days or whatever it was. And I think a report came out that he was, you know, not pleased that someone else leaked it, that he wanted to be the one to announce it. And so I think he's playing it up as he's coming back. He's doing all this. He's going to try to, you know, seems like he's going to go to a new team based off that clip that just happened um, or that was just released. But, yeah, I think he's going to retire. I just think he's saying he's going to come back and, you know, talking about his future in the NFL because he doesn't want anyone to spoil his retirement. He wants it to be a grand announcement. He wants to announce it. He wants no one else to know of anything. And I don't think anyone will know anything of his future until he announces it, um, his retirement, I think. So it'd be fun uh, to see what does happen with that. Obviously, would be another headline of the offseason to go with Lamar's contract uh, situation and free agency. So should be a really fun offseason. I don't know if it'll top uh, the 2022 offseason, but it should be fun to follow, and especially on the Tom Brady front. Um, you know, not for a Ravens fan, that exciting watching him the past uh, 20 years, as a Patriot at least. Uh, you know, once he got to the Bucks, I kind of let go some of that hate for him that I had built up, and I was like, yeah, this guy's the GOAT, especially when he won it with the Bucks. I mean, just what he was able to do. The roster... I mean, it was really good, but it wasn't, like, insane like some of the rosters he had or even when Eli Manning ruined the perfect season. I mean, that roster was still way better than the roster he won the Super Bowl with the Bucks. So, uh, I mean, 35 playoff wins all time. That puts him second if you include all the teams. I think only behind the Cowboys. If he won tonight, he would be in the lead all time ahead of any team. So, impressive stuff over his career. Uh, undisputed GOAT and... Should be fun to see what his final decision is. Maybe this is a hot take. 
and I love Tom, and he's the GOAT. Um, I hated having the Chargers have to play him. I feel like every the Chargers had a really good team. They ran up against him in the playoffs. Um, I just, I'm tired of the Tom Brady storyline. I just, I want him to either announce his retirement quick, or like, hey, I'm coming back, and then sign pretty quick in free agency because um, I love TB, but I think it's, I just, I, I want to move on to a new storyline. I want to get something new going. Um, there's a lot we can talk about, and I just, I don't know if I want to have to add that to the mix. Um, and again, I just, I, I think from a, from a fan perspective, it's like, man, we, we've seen this already before, Tom. Like, we get it. Like, you want to retire, but you're not going to or whatever. It's like, let's just keep it pushing. You know what I mean? Like, let's make a decision and make it quick and not um, linger. I think then that's the best way to do it. I think he's should go radio silent and announce it the day after the Super Bowl or, the you know, the week before the Super Bowl, whatever. He's got plenty of time to figure it out. I mean, it's, you know, the, the 16th of January tonight. Um, he said he's going to go home and get a good night's sleep. So he's got Super Bowls, what? the 10th or the you know sorry the 12th of, of february so um something like that so he's we've got about a month so he's got plenty of time to figure it out um that kind of wraps up the games um you know from this weekend um next weekend we got four games going on um two saturday two sunday um in the afc the first game we got is jags at chiefs first game of the weekend saturday uh two at 3 30 central time on nbc i'm not sure the crew we're gonna have for that um I guess we have the two early games uh, or two earlier games on Sunday and then two afternoon evening games on Saturday. Um, I guess Jags, Jags Chiefs, um, while I'm pulling for the Jags, um, pulling for those guys that down in Duval County, um, I think it's Chiefs all the way. I think coming off of a bye, they're getting healthy, they're getting rested. Um, that Andy Reid coach team. Uh, led by Patrick Mahomes, is not going to come out soft after a bye week. Um, this is not the Philadelphia Eagles, who I think could come out a little a little rusty after a bye. Uh, with a young coach, uh, I don't think that's going to happen with the Chiefs. They're going to be uh, firing all cylinders, and they're going to be able to make a statement that, like, hey, the other two teams that are playing tomorrow should have lost to quarterback, should have lost to backup quarterbacks, and they got lucky. Uh, I think they're looking to make a statement that, like, hey, we are still – um, the cream of the crop, and and um, so I know that's what's gonna happen. And um, as much as I don't want it to happen, I would love to see the Jags win. Um, and I'm, I'm pulling for them. I just, it's so hard to bet against um, what Andy Reid's got going down there in Kansas City. Yeah, I agree. The first of four divisional playoff games, as we have the Elite Eight, uh, if you want to call it that. Jags at Chiefs, pretty nice uh, for KC to know. All you have to do is beat Jacksonville, and you get. Uh, you know, you're in the AFC Championship, and yeah, I we, think hey, we said we hey we said the same thing last week about the Chargers, so I ain't putting anything past the Jags at this point. I agree. I get your I point. You but you're right. That. You're right. You're right. This is a much better matchup. But it is an Arrowhead. Yeah, absolutely. Jags have, no, you're you're right. Outside of Doug Peterson, the Jags don't really have any experience, and I would say Doug Peterson makes a difference, but not if you're going against Andy Reid, who has a good bit more experience. Um, and Pat Mahomes doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt at all, but yeah, Jags at chiefs should be fun one. And unless the bills happen to beat the Bengals, which would be surprising to me, uh, the chiefs will be hosting a AFC championship game for, I believe the fifth straight year, fifth straight season. I think it is, um, but yeah, it's a pretty nice schedule. Uh, you know, get, get a week off, get to host the Jags and you're in that final four. So. 
Should be fun to watch that one at 3.30 uh, Central on NBC on Saturday to kick off Divisional Weekend. On Sunday, uh, as we're going to do the AFC and then go to the NFC, as there's one game for each conference on each day. Sunday, we have the Bengals at the Bills, as everyone thought would happen. Uh, You know, two teams that drastically underperformed in the wild card round this past weekend. I really don't know what to expect from this game. You know, two teams that should have lost to backup quarterbacks. Granted, they were divisional matchups. But we know anything can happen in those matchups. Um, that game's at 2 o'clock on Sunday. I think the Bengals win. You know, they've won eight in a row. Um, you know, outside of divisional matchups this season, they've looked really good. I think the Bengals will win it. And the Chiefs definitely rooting for the Bengals, I think. While Joe Burrow does seem to be, um, or should I say Joe Burrow, the, while the Bengals do seem to be Pat Mahomes' kryptonite uh, to this point, I think the Chiefs got to be rooting for the Bengals. Um, I'm sure they'd much rather play in Kansas City than Atlanta. If you don't know that whole storyline, it'll be pretty easy to find it. But yeah, if the Bills win, then the Bills and the Chiefs will be traveling to Atlanta to play in the AFC Championship game, which would be unprecedented and definitely would be interesting to uh, watch that game, just watch the environment and how teams react what the turnout is, um, you know, a little bit closer for KC, but rather equal uh, travel. But, yeah, looking forward to these both these AFC games. And I think, well, I think the Chiefs winning is pretty much a lock. I'd say the Chiefs win by, and we'll go 31-17. I think the Bengals-Bills is anyone's game right now, and I do think the Bengals are going to pull it out. I would be shocked if the Bills won, but I just think it could be close. Just like of the pod, I'll go with the Bills next week. Um, again, the Miami thing, unique challenges. Um, and I think, I just, I feel like this is a team of destiny, um, genuinely. And it's super cliche. Um, but I really think that just all the stuff that they've endured this season, um, these two teams individually and together enduring what they endured in week 17 on Monday Night Football. Um, I, I truthfully think that the bet that the Bills are going to come out and and win the game. It'll be a, it'll be a tight game. It'll be a great game. But I think uh, it, it'll be an emotionally charged matchup. Not going to be a night game. It's going to be two o'clock. Um, so it's three o'clock Eastern time, um, local time up in Buffalo. So you're giving the Bills again tight game. But I think ultimately, um, this Bills team's battle maybe the most battle tested team in the league, right? I mean they've then dog fights all year. They've lost some. They've won some. Even going back to last year, I mean, it's the same core group of guys. So I think that heartbreak in Kansas City is going to stick with them, and it's going to propel them um, past the Bengals on Sunday. And then um, we'll get started with the NFC here. Uh, Saturday, the evening game, Giants at Eagles, uh, 7:15 uh, Central Time, 8:15 local time out in Philadelphia um, on Fox. Every conventional bone in my body says to pick the eagles every general logic you know gut feeling says pick the eagles but there's just something about the giants that i just brian dable and wink got something going there man um it's a divisional matchup eagles are coming off of a bye yes they're gonna get healthy what is lane johnson's status i don't know i haven't frankly i checked out of the football world for an entire day on sunday i wanted nothing to do with it after what happened saturday night so Really haven't done a lot uh, of looking about. I'm sure we'll get more details this week, um, kind of as we push forward to the game on Saturday. But um, 
or the Giants got something going there. I I should pick the Eagles, but I'm gonna pick the Giants in an upset. Um, I'm not gonna go chalk on all these. There's going to be a big upset. Bengals Bills doesn't qualify. That's a that's a toss up for everybody. So of the three games that everyone's gonna want to pick chalk of of Chiefs Eagles Niners, I'm gonna take the Giants to upset the Eagles. I like it. You know, NFC East just showing how just how good they were this year as three of the final four NFC teams are from the East um, with the Giants, Eagles, and Cowboys. Yeah, Giants-Eagles should be a fun matchup, one that we've already seen twice this year, obviously. You know, both teams being in Philly. Um, I think the rest and not having to travel will be helpful just because Hurts is, you know, still getting back to 100%. You know, you, you let your guys rest. Anyone who's been a little banged up, likely a you know a good bit of guys getting to rest up. Rest hurts some and helps others, and I think it'll do more help than hurt for the Eagles. I'm gonna go with the Eagles by four. I'll say a you know 28-24 kind of finish um, for that Saturday night game on Fox. Uh, but yeah, looking forward to seeing all four of these games. And then to round out the finale of the divisional weekend a day later, uh, Sunday at 5:30 on Fox. We have the Cowboys at 49ers. Uh, like I said, another NFC East team. Cowboys, they're hot. I mean, you say that based off this win. Next week will be their fourth road game in a row. You know, outside of that 20-point loss to the Commanders, which was a divisional game, you know, rounding out the season, may have been looking ahead to the playoffs. Um, you know, some would say a little worrisome. I think that was a little bit of an overreaction. I think the Cowboys... We're going to come to play uh, against the Niners this weekend. I just didn't think, you know, they would jump out to a big lead, and I didn't think, or Niners, uh, Bucks. I didn't think the Bucks would fail to score for much, most of the game. Um, so, yeah, Cowboys looked impressive today. Uh, Cowboys at Niners. It's going to be tough for the Cowboys to win that game. You know, the Niners are the team that eliminated them last year. And I think the Niners are going to win. You know, Brock Purdy statistically has been number one in a lot of different stats since he, you know, made his first start. Now 6-0 and as a starter, and the Niners have won 11 straight, which is just insane. After a 3-4 and four start to the season, you lose Trey Lance for the season. You got Jimmy G going. Uh, it looked like they were going to, you know, be in the playoffs but not do too much, and here they are sitting in the divisional round after a pretty convincing win over a divisional opponent. With the rookie quarterback, Mr. O'Relevant, uh, last pick of the 2022 draft, in Iowa State quarterback uh, Brock Purdy. Impressive stuff from what I've seen. Obviously, their defense is really good. They have a top three, if not the best, linebacker duo in the NFL. Um, impressive. You know, you, you got, uh, like you said, that those DNs uh, with Armstead and Javon Kinlaw's played really well, who was DeForest Buckner's replacement uh, with the pick Indy sent them. All around uh, stout defense. You know, you look at their DBs have been playing really well all year, too. I'm going to take the Niners. I think it's close for a little bit, and I think the Niners ultimately pull away, you know. I think the Niners might go to the Super Bowl this year. I think this might be their year, which is crazy to say with, you know, rookie quarterback, basically undrafted rookie. And I think it'll be fun to see how this game plays out um, in the third quarter. I think the third quarter will be the main quarter. Uh, do or die quarter for the Cowboys in that game. Uh, you know, if the Cowboys can outscore the Niners in that quarter, I'd say they're going to win. Whoever outscores the other in the third quarter is going to win the game. Uh, but ultimately, I'm going to take the Niners. Um, I don't know by how many I'm not going to make a score prediction, but I'll say, you know, 
It's going to be Bengals at Chiefs and was that Niners at Eagles for uh, the Commerce Championships. And from there, I'll just get it in real quick and then let you touch on it. Um, I think Niners at Eagles, that's going to be a tough game. In Philly, it's going to be a long trip for the Niners. I know I said I could see him in the Super Bowl, but you know, making that travel is really tough on some guys. Could be tough on Brock Purdy. I assume that would be his longest trip uh, where he's played this season. And, you know, while defense, I think the defense will travel, I think it'll be tough to, you know, keep up with the Eagles defense as well. So, you know, both teams with similar strengths, honestly, you look across the board, um, you know, obviously the Eagles don't have a Christian McCaffrey, but other than that, fairly even, uh, you know, Eagles have Jalen Hurts, you know, which is the edge. They have the edge in the quarterback room. Uh, should be a fun game to watch if that is the case. So I'll take the Eagles to go to the Super Bowl. Then we got Bengals at Chiefs. Um, you know, while Mahomes has yet to have a victory over the Bengals, while Joe Burrow's been the starter, I'm going to give them the victory here. It just seems like we've seen this before. I mean, it's getting to the Tom Brady um, point to where when Tom Brady was in his prime, you talk about, you know, yeah, the Pats, Pats had a couple losses in the season that were uncharacteristic, like the Chiefs did this year. When it comes time to win or go home, uh, they get it done, and they at least get to the dance, if not win it, um, with, I think, 10 playoff appearances – or 10 Super Bowl appearances in the 18 years he was there. Um, so I'm going to go Chiefs. I'm going to go Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl. Uh, I'm not going to make a prediction for that because that's too far ahead if it doesn't – I mean, it might not even happen, so – I'm going to go Chiefs-Eagles Super Bowl. I know it's chalk. I know it's what most people were picking, but it just seems like what's right. And, you know, based off travel, based off environments, based off strengths and weaknesses of the teams, I think that's what I'm going to go with. And, yeah, I mean, looking forward to seeing how teams respond to, you know, tough performances as all eight of these teams, you know, some had to grind for the victory and some walked to the victory um, it'll be fun to see, you know, kind of how they keep their mindset rolling and how each team attacks this week differently coming up. Yeah, I think um, I'll go back to what you said on Brock Purdy. He has not left the West the West Coast time zone. He's not left the Pacific time zone. He's become a starter. Um, his away games were Seattle and Vegas. So um, yeah, uh, but we'll get we'll get I'll get to my my picks here. Um, Cowboys Niners. Give me the Niners. Uh, the difference being. Um, and what I think is a defensive slugfest, the difference is going to be, um, again, the defensive line. For a different reason, the Cowboys tackle duo is just – Jason Peters at left tackle was fine tonight because, frankly, the, the Tampa Bay defense took a massive step back this year um, and did not provide any sort of pass rush um, at, at any sort of elite level. And you're going to see the best pass rush in football um, out in San Francisco in a hostile environment. Um, so give me the Niners with that being the difference maker. Um, and what I think is a pretty, a pretty low scoring game early on. Um, and maybe the dam breaks again for, for the Niners and they, and they put up a couple late touchdowns, um, and make it a little ugly of a score. But, um, I won't spend too much time being a dead horse there on the analysis of what I think is going to happen. Um, I'll get to my matchups here of, uh, what did I have? I was going to have, uh, Bill's chiefs. I'm going to go with the bills again. I, I, I picked them to go, I think, early in the season. I picked them to go to the Super Bowl. Um, Team of Destiny, I think, 
Um, again, divisional matchup can throw it out the window, like you said. Um, and I think again, the, the loss in Kansas City last year, um, they're not going to be in Arrowhead. They'll be in Atlanta playing that game if if my uh, divisional picks hit, and I think that's going to be huge in a dome. Um, and I think you're going to have to see Josh Allen put the team on his back. And um, what the Chiefs have struggled with at times this year is, is quarterbacks who um, can kind of create. Uh, I think we saw the vertical passing game really hurt them. I think you saw it when the Chargers played them both times. Um, you know, when they were healthy, when they played them, they were able to kind of get the ball downfield with Mike Williams uh, and Josh Palmer, two of their better defense on the, on the team at the time when they were healthy. And so um, I think you see Gabe Davis maybe have a big week and just um, I think you can see the Bills really attack. Oh, what's the weak point of that team as a secondary for the Chiefs? So um, give me the Bills going to the Super Bowl. I know this is kind of hasty and and a little volatile just to pick these games right off right off rip, but it's the exercise we're going to do again next week. So um, and then Giants going out to going out to Levi Stadium out there in uh, San Francisco again. Give me the Giants it, or give me the the Niners. Tough travel for the Jet Giants team. Um, Running up against an, a, a maybe the one of the only overall staff that's going to be superior than, to them, um, with with Shanahan and D'Amico Ryan's, um, you know, matching up with Dable and Wink. I think uh, again the skill group's going to be too much. I think the defense is going to be too much. Um, and what is likely going to be the Giants Super Bowl next week? I, I think they uh, emotionally come down off the high and just kind of come back to earth a little bit. Um, and ended up losing to the Niners in the uh, title game. So that gives us Niners, Bills, Super Bowl, which we didn't get there the same way for the Niners. Like I said, we would. But that was my preseason pick was Niners, Bills. I just said that Jimmy, that Trey Lance had to be marginally better than Jimmy G to get him there. Again, we're there via a much different route. Christian McCaffrey's a 49er right now. But um, I'm sticking with that with that pick, obviously. Um, it's not really the same pick, but I'm going to stick with it team-wise. Um, I think this Niners team's scary, to be honest. I think they are um, they're really good. They're so hard to stop offensively because if Brock Purdy can just throw the ball to the right guy on the right every play, and, and the offensive line can keep dominating, I think that's a, a part that everyone's missing and not getting looked at enough is the fact that Trent Williams and Mike McGlinchey have been controlling the edges really well. Uh, um, and again, George Kittle's a sixth offensive lineman out there sometimes, so um, they're just really hard to stop. They're so multifaceted offensively. Um, Elijah Mitchell, a guy who uh, has been a key contributor for them since he's been healthy, and uh, a guy just has a nose for the end zone. Um, really good spell back for um, for McCaffrey and for Debo when he's getting those carries. So just a, a scary team for me offensively. Um, but yeah, that kind of wraps up our our football talk for the week. It's 11:30. I think we'll we will. I, I'm gonna say we elect to skip. Talking shop, we kind of ran over a little bit. Not ran over, but um, just took our time talking football, which which is always the goal here on the Cold Seat Podcast. Um, I imagine corners is going to take a lot less time than receivers will next week to a position that we just – it's vastly different for both of us. Um, so maybe Friday we'll, we'll open the episode with a little icebreaker, talking some Ravens chargers, um, get some clarity out from, from both – organizations on what what the coordinators look like going forward which will be great so uh, maybe we open that up on friday with that or close it off um something we can have to talk about later the week but um that kind of wraps it up for me um a really good weekend of wildcard football obviously for both of us ended in um maybe more heartbreak for for me than for you um just the way the game ended but again two really tough games uh for both the chargers and ravens to lose but again um looking forward to the offseason 
going to start running some mocks here pretty soon. Um, kind of trying to take it with a grain of salt. It's just a game at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the games next week. Trying to keep it pushing with these. And, um, yeah, excited to see kind of where our predictions lie next week. Yeah, definitely looking forward to it following along with not only, you know, the divisional round, but also with our own teams as the off seasons now upon us, uh, Ravens and, and uh, Chargers. So, yeah, um, it is what it is at the end of the day. Um, you know, it's just a sport that everyone watches and, you know, you choose the team to root for and you hope they do as best as they can and beat everyone else. But it doesn't really ever happen. Um, so you just got to move on to the next uh, season and look forward to the offseason. You know, offseason is mainly where teams win or lose a lot of games during the season. So it'll be fun to follow along. Uh, definitely tune in to the Cold Seat Podcast at Cold Seat Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Um, but yeah, I think that wraps up episode 34 and we will see y'all for the second edition of our top five positional rankings this upcoming Friday in a few days as we are going to touch on corners. Like you said, um, really looking forward to it. You know, a lot of guys that could go really, a really deep class. Um, you know, one of the best groups in the draft, if not the best. So it'll be fun to talk about. I'm sure we'll have some differences, so, yeah, I definitely want to tune into not only this episode, uh, but our positional rankings as well. If you didn't listen to the wide receivers one, that is up. Uh, go listen to that one. Um, you know, a lot of good stuff said on that one. So, um, yeah, I think that pretty much wraps it up, and we will see you all in a few days. See you guys Friday.